Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we are looking at episode five of Moon Knight, named Asylum. In terms of the layout, we shall start with a look at the background information, then a section on the historical accuracy, and finally, I shall review the episode and give my rating out of 10 as well. I should probably just say, for this episode, I shall not be avoiding spoilers, as it is kind of impossible to cover it otherwise. So this is just a little warning. Right. Just after you discovered the long-lost tomb of Alexander the Great, you were shot by your mortal enemy. However, rather than only darkness... You awoke in a hospital, with the staff convinced that you are mad. You stumble through the halls with your other self, desperate to escape, and then bump into the goddess Towerette. She takes you through a door, and soon you realise you are on a bark, heading to the afterlife. She takes your hearts, and places them on a pair of scales to weigh them. However, the scales are not balanced. In order to balance them, you must find yourself. And how will you do this? You will search your memories, which are hidden behind the doors of the asylum. tell you, this series has really been harsh when it comes to my dramatic intros, and this one was no exception. I get why it was called Asylum, and in fairness, it is a good name for the episode, but so much happens here that it was very hard to summarise. Basically, the general concept of this episode is that Mark and Stephen bump into the Egyptian goddess Towerit whilst trying to escape the Asylum, 
and she reveals to them that they are dead. She takes them through a door and they end up on a bark, so a boat that is travelling across the sand. Tauret then takes their hearts and places them on a pair of scales, which begin to tilt indecisively back and forth, neither balanced nor unbalanced. In order to balance the scales, Mark and Stephen have to uncover the conflict in their own minds. If they fail to do this, they will be thrown overboard into the sand, where the damned will drag them down into the duat, where they will be frozen in time. I shall go into the historical accuracy of some of this a little bit later, but for now, let us look at some of the background information of the episode. Once again, we see the return of the hidden QR code. This one can be found at almost exactly 12 minutes into the episode, and once scanned, takes the eagle-eyed viewer to a free Moon Knight comic book. This one links to the first actual Moon Knight comic, released in 1980. Before this point, he had just been making smaller appearances in other comic book series. I will admit, although I feel the QR codes were a good and fun idea, the series has not utilised them as well as it could have done, as they do not appear in every episode. This is admittedly a small complaint, however, at least in this one there is a QR code present. Near the beginning of the episode, Tauret claims that there are many different afterlifes, and starts to mention a few of them. One of these is the Ancestral Plane. This is the Wakandan afterlife from Black Panther. Although it is not uncommon for Marvel series to reference each other, as ultimately Marvel is a shared universe, it is still a nice little easter egg here. During this episode, we also see a few deviations from the actual comics. In one scene, we find out that Mark Spector led his brother Randall into a cave that is filling with water. According to the episode, this led to Randall losing his life. As a result, Mark's mother becomes abusive in her grief, and as a result, we find out that Mark created Stephen Lance as a coping mechanism. Then, when his mother dies, it is at this point that he can no longer control who he is, switching between Mark and Stephen as if Stephen is a real living person. Interestingly, in the comic, it is actually Mark's father who dies. It is also Mark's father who is neglectful and resentful of his son, as he resents his son's violent nature and obsession with war. Finally in this section, for this episode and for the series as a whole for that matter, the producers worked closely with mental health professionals to ensure a respectful and accurate depiction. In terms of the cast, once again Oscar Isaac plays Mark Spector slash Stephen Lance, Ethan Hawke plays Arthur Harrow, Antonia Saleb plays Towerette, Ray Lucas plays Elias Spector, Mark's father, and Fernanda Andrea plays Wendy Spector, Mark's mother. We have now arrived at the historical accuracy section of this episode. So here, I'm just going to go over what the episode gets right and what it gets incorrect when it comes to history. Towards the beginning of the episode, Stephen Lance informs Mark that Tauret is a goddess of women and children. This is more or less correct. Not only was she the goddess of women and children, 
she was especially important when it came to childbirth. Very often, when a woman in ancient Egypt was giving birth, a wand made of hippopotamus ivory would be used to draw a circle around the woman on the ground. And on that wand, amongst others, would be a depiction of Tawaret. It was believed that this would protect both the woman and the child from evil forces that wanted to harm them. In terms of her iconography, Tawaret had the head of a hippopotamus, the legs and arms of a lion, the tail of a crocodile, and human breasts. So, considering in Moonlight, she is basically just shown as a giant, slightly human-looking hippo, this depiction is not really correct. For the ancient Egyptians, it was this ferocious appearance that deterred malevolent forces from harming a woman during labour. Interestingly, whilst male hippos were feared in ancient Egypt for their destructive force, female hippos were instead respected due to their fierce protection of their young. And in fact, Tauret was a popular goddess during ancient Egypt amongst the rich and poor alike. This was partly due to her good nature, and also, unsurprisingly, due to her protection of women and children. During the episode, Tauret is shown leading Stephen and Mark to the afterlife on a large bark, which rather than travelling along the water, is moving along the dry desert sand. She also removes their hearts and places them on a pair of scales on the bark to perform the weighing of the heart ceremony. Stephen Lance then explains that if their hearts are free from sin, then the scales will be balanced, and they will pass through into the field of reeds, which by a modern Western context can unsatisfactorily be likened to heaven. Tauret then explains, if their hearts are heavier than the feather, they will be tossed overboard, where the undead enemies will drag them down into the duat, where they will be frozen for eternity. There is a lot to talk about here, so we shall break this down into parts. Firstly, let us look at the idea of Tauret leading the dead to the afterlife. There is actually some precedence for this. According to some Egyptologists, such as Geraldine Pinch, not only did Tauret give assistance and protection with birth in this life, she also gave assistance and protection with rebirth in the next life. Although this idea was not present during the early times in ancient Egypt, it was definitely a concept in the Book of the Dead, which came about in roughly about 1550 BC, during the New Kingdom. In the Book of the Dead, Tauret is said to guard the mountains in the west, which to the ancient Egyptians was seen as the entrance to the underworld. So, what is otherwise known as the Duat. Not only did she stand guard here, but she also used magic to protect the deceased on their journey through the duat. However, it is fair to say the way she is assisting the dead hair is not entirely correct. For a start, during the episode, she states on a couple of occasions that the bark they are travelling on belongs to her. In ancient Egyptian religion, the dead actually rode on a solar bark which belonged to Ra, the sun god. Essentially, to the Egyptians, as I have spoken about before, Ra would be born every day in the east. He would then rise into the sky on his solar bark, travelling across the sky and getting older as he did, until he grew old and weary and sunk into the duat in the west. 
The deceased would ride on the bark of Ra as he passed through the Duat, acting as his pilot. During their time in the afterlife, the bark of Ra would pass through caverns full of the blessed dead, who were basically the righteous who had died and made it to the field of reeds. As Ra passed through these caverns, his light would bring the dead within to life, and they would live an entire lifetime in the one hour it took him to pass through the cavern. Then, at the end of each of these caverns, there was a gate. It was up to the deceased, acting as the pilot of Ra, to say the names of those guarding these gates, as this would lead to these gods opening the gates for Ra to pass through. Eventually, the deceased would arrive at the Hall of Justice. Here, first they would have to make negative confessions to 42 judges. So these were things like, I did not steal and I did not kill. Then their heart would be placed on a scale and weighed against either a statue of Ma'at or the feather of Ma'at. If their heart was pure, the scale would be balanced. Then part of their soul, known as the Ak, would pass onto the field of reeds, which were those cabins that Ra passed through earlier. Here, they would awaken night after night as Ra's light filled the cavern and they would live an entire lifetime in the one hour it took Ra to pass through. However, if their heart was heavy from wrongdoing, then the scales would not be balanced. In early times in Egyptian history, the heart would then be torn apart by a terrible goddess known as Amit the Devourer, and they would simply cease to exist, which was seen at this time as the ultimate punishment. Then, Although this concept continued throughout Egyptian history, during the Ramesside period, a new concept also emerged. The dead that failed the weighing of the heart ceremony would also become one of the moot. Rather than going to one of the caverns to live an entire lifetime in the one hour it took Ra to pass through, they would instead suffer a second death, usually by being burned alive. So, as you can probably tell, the depiction of the journey to the afterlife in this episode is not exactly accurate. Although the deceased travelled to the afterlife on a bark, it was the bark of Ra, not the bark of Tauret. Although the deceased had their heart weighed, it was weighed in the Hall of Justice, not on the actual bark. And although there were dead enemies in the afterlife, known as the Moot, they were there to suffer a second death, not to drag other dead enemies into the duat to be frozen in time. Although in fairness, Tauret does specify that the moot remained in the duat, which is correct. Further, I am not sure why the bark is travelling across the sand as opposed to in the water. This is especially the case considering that hippopotami in ancient Egypt were known as water pigs and were associated with the watery areas of the sky, earth, and underworld. So why they are travelling across the dry sand, I have no idea. Therefore, although there are some Egyptian concepts in this episode, and some interesting ideas, many of them are jumbled and incorrectly represented, whilst others are just completely wrong. It is true that Tauret protected the deceased as they were reborn in the next life, and it is also true that in some versions of the Book of the Dead, she did guide the deceased to the afterlife. But she did not take them on her own bark to the field of reeds. 
It is also true that the deceased did have their heart weighed against the feather of Matt. But this was not done on the bark and was instead done in the Hall of Justice in the Duat. And although there were dead enemies known as the Mute in the Duat, they were not the ones to drag the unworthy dead into the Duat as well. Instead, this happened after the weighing of the heart ceremony. Right, in this next section, I shall simply talk about what I liked and disliked in the episode, analyse it, and rate it out of 10. To begin with, we shall start with a lighter point in what is actually quite a heavy episode. Personally, I really liked the character of Towerette. I'm not sure why the writers gave her an English accent, but it did make me chuckle. Though, in all honesty, I felt that Antonia Salib played the part well, and she came off as very likeable. In general, I felt the performances in this episode were excellent, and as usual, the performance of Oscar Isaac really stood out. He made playing two parts seem effortless, and it did not feel like I was watching one actor play both parts. In my mind, there is no doubt that he was the best pick for the role, and it has helped me appreciate him more as an actor. In fact, in my notes for this episode, I have written Oscar Isaac is such a good actor on multiple occasions. Further, the squabbling between Mark and Stephen is always really good, and regardless of whether it is a serious or funny scene, it always achieves its goal. For instance, in one scene, Stephen talks about wanting to overpower Towerett to take over the bark, and it is genuinely funny seeing Mark's distress at the idea of powering an ancient Egyptian goddess. However, on the other side of it, there are several scenes where you see the terrible things that Mark has done, and both Stephen's distress and Mark's regret are truly heartbreaking. In general, the very concept of this episode is exceptional. During this series, we have gone from fun and mysterious to classic adventure, and then there is this episode, which is truly a devastating and emotional gut punch. Early on in the series, I complained about how we only seem to know Stephen as a character, and that other characters were just kind of there and not really focused on enough. This episode rectified that and did so in a big way. Suddenly, Mark is more interesting of a character. Suddenly, I feel deeply about him. Suddenly, every fibre of my being feels sorry for him. During this episode, when Towerette weighs the hearts of Mark and Stephen, the scales are unbalanced and keep swinging back and forth. As such, they have to travel through the asylum, walking through doors into their past to figure out why. This was symbolically a really interesting idea. To the ancient Egyptians, a person's very self was in their heart, as were all of their memories. As such, the scales being unbalanced represents Mark's broken and unbalanced mind. Further, the doorways to the past, whilst not necessarily the most original idea ever, were an effective way of showing Mark's backstory, and really highlighted the importance of showing and not telling. Without them, the torment that Mark has gone through 
would not have been highlighted. Without them, my eyes would not have been glued to the screen. And without them, the sadness I felt for Mark would have been far less. I especially like the part where we find out that although Mark has killed many people, he remembers all of them and is psychologically haunted by them. This shows that although he has done some truly unforgivable things, he is by no means without a conscience, and instead, these actions are a result of a troubled past. As such, we also see the cause of these actions, the abuse that Mark endured from his mother. Not only do we see how his past pushed him down a dark path, it also showed how he came to be a servant of Konsu, and also presents the twist of the series, that Stephen is a product of Mark's imagination, as he has split personality disorder. Even when it comes to this twist, in a strange way, it is a non-twist, as when you think about it, it is kind of obvious. But that's why it's so good. It makes perfect sense, and in a way, the viewer was sort of always expecting it. Even when Tauret put both hearts on the same scale in this episode, I did not bat an eye, as I was always assuming they were the same person. It was more just we were expecting Mark to be a figment of Stephen's imagination, not the other way around. Or at least, that's the way I've always been interpreting this series anyway. It would have been easy to make this reveal a bit eye-rolly and generic, but this episode did it to perfection. Further, although this instalment answered a lot of questions, and expertly pushed forward Mark's character progress, it also left a lot unanswered and made the Watcher want to keep watching. At the end, we see Stephen fall into the duet. Not only was this emotionally devastating, it also made me want to watch on, to see if Stephen makes another appearance. He may be a figment of Mark's imagination, but he has his own personality, and I really want him to be okay. Though there is also a part of me that realises whilst he is there, Mark is never going to be okay. It is such a conflicting feeling. Also, we still have the idea that Arthur Harrow is sending people to the duet before their time, as at this point, Tower talks about souls falling into the duet before their time, referencing the fact that he is a follower of Amit and is judging the living, as we have seen in previous episodes. Therefore, although we now know a lot more, we are still not entirely sure whether Mark is even in the asylum, or if this is just a product of his imagination. We do not know if Arthur Harrow is simply a well-meaning doctor, or a villainous follower of Amit. And as such, I am more eager than ever to see the ending of this series. In terms of the reviews for this episode, they were excellent, and it is often seen as one of the best episodes of the series. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has 95%, and on IMDb, it has an 8.8 .8 out of 10. In terms of the reviews, the performances were praised with special attention going to Oscar Isaac. It is seen as devastatingly emotional, and one of the best stories that Marvel has ever told. In all honesty, I could not agree more. In terms of the Marvel Disney Plus shows, 
I have seen a handful of them. I have seen all of Loki. I have seen all of WandaVision. And I have seen about one-tenth of an episode of She-Hulk, before realising it was not for me. I truly feel that out of all of them, not only is this by far the best episode in any of these series, but it also has helped me to like this series more than any of them as well. Further, I do agree that this is one of the best stories that Marvel has told overall, including both the series and the films. For this episode, I would give it no less than 10 out of 10. Thank you very much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have, why not consider leaving a comment, liking the video, sharing on social media, subscribing if you have not already done so, and join me on Monday where we shall be looking at the sixth and final episode of Moon Knight, named Gods and Monsters. I hope you all have fantastic weeks, and see you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.